Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Today, but again, I want to welcome you as we continue. We've been walking through uh, the book of Acts, and so you're joining us as we've been uh, traversing Acts, and this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 19, and uh, the theme for today I like to frame as the outpouring of transformation. Now, if you've been following along, whether in community groups and discussing a particular passage with a resource we call the daily, what that is, is every, every day, Monday through Friday, we send out a portion of what we've been reading through as a church. So in this case, we've been reading through the book of Acts. Um, and if you haven't, on our website, there is a link for uh, the daily, and then you'll receive uh, various people from in the body are putting their contribution and um, helping us walk through the passage. But if you've been tracking along, Paul has been energized and is doing a phenomenal work of ministry. By the time you get to Acts chapter 19, he is in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, we read that he's been investing in people for about two years. And what, what, what we see in, Ephes- in Ephesus is absolute transformation. People are devoting their attention, devoting their lives to Jesus, and, and there is absolute flourishing. It's as, it's, it's as though he was here at downtown Hope because our mission, we say it week after week, is to experience gospel transformation for the sake of the city. We want to see our city better because of the reality of Jesus. And when you read Acts chapter 19, that's exactly what's happening. They are being transformed. The only thing sponsor the people watching is an excitement. They see what Paul is doing, and when you read Acts chapter 19, we are on the verge of a riot. There are people that are absolutely upset because Paul and his companions are bringing trouble to Ephesus. And so I'd like to read Acts chapter 19. I'll read from verses 21 to 29. But if you haven't already read it, I want to encourage you to read through uh, verse 41, which gives a full account of what's taking place with Paul, his friends, in Ephesus. So Acts chapter 19, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me from verse 21, and it reads as follows. It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. In other words, the Christians are causing trouble. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together and the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have gathered our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. 
When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. And this is God's word. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for truth. And we thank you, Lord, that you are still transforming lives. What we read in Acts chapter 19 and see the transformation that is transpiring in the lives of the people of that day, we are experiencing it today. And so, would you help us to see, would you help us to hear, and would you help us let go of the things that may stand in the way of true fellowship with you? I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 19, uh, the, the main thing taking place is that of idolatry. And perhaps when we think about idolatry, we think about what other people do in faraway lands. But as we begin to discover what's taking place in Acts chapter 19, maybe there is some idolatry that we too need to contend with. And what I believe Luke is, uh, is demonstrating here is that the gospel is powerful enough to confront the idols of the day. I'll say that again. The gospel is powerful enough to confront the idols of the day. And in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see the prevalence of idolatry. We're going to see the strong pull that idolatry has. And lastly, when we read Acts chapter 19, we're going to see how we can be freed from idolatry. So the prevalence of idolatry, idols are everywhere. And so uh, what is an idol? We're going to talk about those. So let me see. How many of you maybe grew up in the church? All right. So we're going to, we're going to, you're going to have to converse with me today. That helps my self-esteem. So if I talk to you, please talk back. All right. So, so what is the first commandment? Uh, up to, to, okay, you guys are Jesus followers. I love it. So you're already in the New Testament, Jesus first. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back to like Exodus. First commandment. No idols. Good. So what is an idol? Right? So, so let's define it. An idol is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. I'll say that again. What is an idol? An idol is anything your heart, my heart, clings to or relies on for ultimate security. An idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. We're trying to find out what an idol is. It is the thing you and I go to for security, for identity. And the best way I heard it framed, an idol is any place we go where we find well-being. And so this morning, begin to think about when it is tough, when you're finding yourself in a deep season of stress, despair, grief, where do you go to? What do you cling to? to find well-being, to find safety. For the people of Ephesus, it was the Greek goddess Artemis. There was a special bond between Artemis and the people of Ephesus. She was called the founder and the guide of the city. Her name and her image were found on coins. It was everywhere. She was regarded as the protector of the city's general welfare. And so if you and I were living in Ephesus, that is where we'd find our well-being. That's where we'd find security. That's where we'd find identity. And all that is true for the people of Ephesus until the gospel begins to penetrate that area. You see, we cannot proclaim the good news of Jesus without confronting idols. 
Now, if you're here last week, Todd spoke from Acts chapter 17, and we see that in the ministry of Paul, he's always confronting the idols of that day. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, it says that Paul in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him because he looked around and he saw that the city was full of idols. So when I first read that, I thought that Paul was walking around Athens and all he saw were images and statues and wooden figures. And there was all these things in the city that was disturbing him. But I believe something deeper is taking place. I believe Paul is looking out in Athens and he sees what is underneath everything. Not just in structures, not just in statues, not just in graven images. He sees that underlying everything for the people of Athens is an idol. That Paul, when he looked at the art of Athens, underneath it was idolatry. When he looked at the business structure, underneath it was idolatry. When he looked at the governing structures of that day, underneath it, he saw idols. And so what comes to your mind when you think of an idol? What comes to your mind when we say words like idolatry? Do you think of statues and objects worshipped by pagans in ancient cultures? I'd like to suggest to you that idols of the 21st century, they bear no resemblance to life then, but it is still nonetheless prevalent. I was sharing with the first gathering that we have a tendency to imitate what we see. Isn't that the case when you have a newborn child? They tend to copy you. I was talking to my daughter early this week, and I, I told her that I, 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 it was tough. High school was tough. It was high school tough for anybody trying to keep up with the styles and, and just what people wore. I, wanted, I imitated what people wore. So I was telling her back in, in, in my day, uh, the thing everyone had to wear was guess jeans. You remember that? Guess, yes, we're on the older side now. It's like back in the day, right? <laughs> guess jeans, they were black like this, and they had a little upside-down triangle. And just so everyone knew you wore guess jeans, you had to tuck your back shirt in so they knew, yeah, these are guess. <laughs> or, or if you remember, Bugle Boy, remember that commercials? Bugle boy jeans, right? And so we imitate what we see. So think back to your school days, whether consciously or unconsciously, we reflected and resembled our peer groups. All of us, even as adults, reflect what we see around us. We reflect things in our society, sometimes consciously or unconsciously, but we all reflect something. And what, you, what is, was important for us to understand that these examples, following our peers, imitating what our parents do, follows a very ancient pattern that has its roots found in the early chapters of Genesis. You see, God has made humanity to reflect him. The scripture teaches us that we were made in his image, and so we ought to reflect him. But if we do not commit ourselves to him, we will not reflect God. Rather, we'll reflect something else. That is the essence of idolatry. It's when you and I begin to image and reflect other things. Let's go back to Exodus. All my Bible scholars, tell me again, what is the first command? Finish the sentence. No idols before me. All right now what it says have no idols before me. what does that mean? Wait, is your hand up? No other gods. No other gods is one. No other no idols finish the sentence. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Read it. 
Okay. I thought you had it. We, we believe you. Exodus 20, verse 3. <laughs> yeah. I, I love participation. This is phenomenal. This is great. Right. So, so, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Got it. So we're, we're saying, okay, so let, let's clarify this. First commandment, no other gods before me. Second, no idols. I want us to think through the first commandment. He says, no other gods. Charlie, are we good? Thank you. Because he read it and he was like, wait, that's what we just said. No other gods before me. Think for a moment. What does it mean to have something before you? When the Bible says no other gods before me, it means don't put anything in front of God. Friends, that's what an idol is. When we cling to and find meaning and well-being in something other than God, what it means is we're taking something and we're placing that before God. And when we place something before us and God, it stands between us and God, and it separates us from him. And so today, many of us has put before God an insatiable, for example, desire for wealth. Or we place before God an insatiable desire for success or the high regard of others as the ultimate goal. So all these things we place in front of God, and this inevitably leads us to look to these things as the ultimate source of comfort. Now, let me say, let me back up a little bit because there, there are good things that take place in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with it. So, for example, how many of you like to eat by way of hands? All right. This is participate. This is just good stuff. So, let, let's, so, so you like to eat. Raise your hand. Right? So, 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 so nothing is wrong with eating, but when you make eating the ultimate thing, that becomes a problem. How many of you enjoy having money in your wallet, your bank account, your Apple Pay? Like, raise your hand. Don't be, let's shake, let, yeah, hallelujah, I love money. All right? So, so, so nothing wrong with money, but when money and the accumulation of money becomes the ultimate thing, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. So, so the problem isn't that there's just bad things in the world. There are bad things in the world. But the other problem is when we make good things the ultimate things. When we believe that money, if I have money, then I'll find meaning. If I have money, then I'll find well-being. If I'm well like people, then I'll have meaning. Then I'll have significance. These are the idols that stand in the way before us and in front of God. And so in the end, it doesn't matter whatever empty pleasures we chase, or which idol or, or which false god we may bow down to, the result is the same. We are separated from the true and living God. And so when there are things standing between us and God, when there are idols, as we've seen, that they're prevalent. In order to walk away from that is very challenging because I, with idolatry is a strong pull to keep us in. And so Paul in his ministry is confronting these idols and there's a strong pull and it begins with this person named Demetrius. You see it in verse 26, Acts chapter 19. He says, and you see in here, he's talking to his friends, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, 
saying that gods made with hands are no gods. And so Demetrius, he's a silversmith, and he calls a rowdy group of people, and he's saying, we got to stop Paul from what he's teaching. He's saying that in all Asia, Paul's teachings are dangerous. And the one, number one reason he's dangerous is because it's hitting our pocketbooks. Because again, he, he's, he's making, so you got this Greek goddess, Artemis, everybody's worshiping, and if you were back in that day, you know how everybody has, what can, you can't leave home without what? Like, what is it, the commercial? American Express. You couldn't leave home without your shrine to Artemis. So everybody's home had shrines. So if you're a good business person, an entrepreneur, guess what's a good business to go to in Ephesus? You're a shrine maker. And so that's what Demetrius doing. And this brother is making bank. He is pulling in the dollars. Paul comes in and says, yeah, God's made with hands, no gods. And people are like, you know what? <laughs> that is true. We're done with him. Jesus, we want you. It's hitting his pocketbooks. He is upset. And then, so this pull, so there's this constant pull to go back. He's saying, we can't let this happen. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. And look at what he says. She whom all Asia and the world worship. This is the argument that everybody's doing it. Right? So the pull away from the idolatry, the pull away from the things that we tend to run to for significance, the reason why it's hard for us to leave it is because we've taught ourselves or we've been lied to, to believe everyone else is doing it. And because everyone else is doing it, what's the big deal? And that's destroying us as a culture. Think about the things that we, we know it to be wrong. We weren't raised that way. We just, we just know, but we figure, well, everybody else is doing it. What's the big deal? That's why it's so hard to let go of the things that are standing between us and God, the argument that everyone is doing it. But friends, just because everyone is doing it doesn't make it right. We know that, right? I mean, what was the quintessential thing that my parents used to, I don't know if your parents said it to you. They said it to me. Well, if all your friends were going to jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? <laughs> Anybody's parents say that? Yeah, we grew up in the same household, right? <laughs> right? And, and that's what he's saying. He says, all of Asia and the world worships artists. And we know that's a lie. We know that's a lie because Paul has been in this region for two years and people are coming to faith in Jesus. But Artemis was popular. I mean, you read this passage, they say they drag Paul's two friends, they bring him to the theater. Uh, they, they say this theater had upwards of 25,000 people there. They're enraged. The scripture tells us the city is in confusion. You want to see how hard it is to pull away from idols? In this passage, they start chanting for two hours, great is Artemis. Put yourself in Ephesus, contemplating, turning away from one way of life and Jesus, and you hear the crowd of 25,000 people shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. They do this for two hours. Hours. Think about how this echoes in our own culture today. People may not shout, great is Artemis, but there are voices everywhere shouting, displaying where our hearts align, what we find our identity, and people are shouting, great is my financial wealth. People are shouting, great is my political affiliation. Great is my addiction to things like pornography. Great is my material goods. Great are these things. 
And so we're constantly waging war with what others are saying great versus what is truly great because we now live in a time where if we gather together and shout it from the top of our lungs, great is the Lord Jesus, we would be the ones considered strange. And so there's a prevalence of idols in this land. Paul sees it and he goes under the surface and says, you got to let go, you got to let go. But there is a strong pull to keep us there. And so with that, how is it possible to find freedom from the things we find security in? And we know they do find freedom because in Acts chapter 19, in the 19 we read these words. It says, also many of those, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This is an outpouring of transformation. They are letting go of the things that they once found security in and what the things they once found well-being in and their affections are now turned to the Lord. Friends, that is what the gospel is. The gospel is an invitation to turn back to the Lord who satisfies our desires. It was St. Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find thee. Isn't that true? Our hearts are restless. It's, it's amazing when we look at the things that, uh, maybe not you, the things I pursue that I'm still restless after getting those things. Like I shared with the first gathering, anyone know what this is? Been a computer. What is this? Talk to audience participation. It's a phone. All right. This phone has one ultimate task. Make phone calls. Right? That's the problem, right? <laughs> so so I, I like literally I I like I've been calling my dad for years and his phone number is never hasn't changed. Like it's just I even know the I even know the like how it works. But I've convinced myself that I need a new one of these every Six days. I mean, think about the things that pull at us. Because for, for some people, if I don't have the latest and greatest, I'm nothing. For that, that, that is the pull that we must be freed from. We will still be restless. Even if we attain those things, our hearts are still restless until we find our rest in him. This is why I love Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want I mean, that, that's the God of Scripture. He gives us rest that we no longer have to find significance, well-being in anything or anyone other than him. And so the gospel is an invitation to look to him. I believe because what Jesus has done, our affections can change as we continue to gaze into his beauty. I remember uh, when I was a young lad, I was, just, I was just young and me. And I would try to do everything in my heart to win the attention of many women. I, would, I wore my guest jeans, had the shirt tucked in. Just hallelujah, amen, I, you feel that, right? And, and so I was pursuing all these other things and all that changed when I met Sandra. Hallelujah, amen. Because in that moment, I found someone who was going to devote themselves to me and I, her, and everyone else. It didn't matter. My affections changed. Friends, that's what Jesus does. 
God demonstrates his love towards us in Christ Jesus. And so if we can begin to just reflect on, meritate, marinate, and begin to just live in the reality of his love, we'll find these things no longer need to find, give us significance or well-being. Our well-being is found in him. And so when the scriptures give us admonitions such as don't steal, what the scripture is saying, look at Jesus. When the scriptures give us admonitions, it's like, don't objectify a woman. Don't look at that person with lust. What the scriptures are saying is look to Jesus. When the scripture is saying, love your brothers and your sisters, the scriptures call us to look to Jesus. Friends, we can be freed from our idols as we gaze into the beauty of Jesus and look to him. It's hard to let go of idols. I, I tend to have to confront the idols in my own life. You can't talk about idolatry and not have to contend with your own idols. It'd be easy for me to stand up here and say, you guys, deal with all your idols and you could be like me. But I can't do that. I was, as I was reflecting, just what are the things that I, I run to? What are the things I go to when I'm feeling stress and tension? One of the things I notice, I'm, uh, y'all have to pray for me. I'm a people pleaser. I like to keep everyone happy. I don't do well with conflict. If you start looking upset, it makes me uncomfortable. And so the, the, the idol, the place I find well-being, the thing I put before God is I got to keep everybody happy. And if I can please everybody, whew, then I can sleep well at night. Guess what? That's where I'm finding meaning. That's what I have before God. And what the gospel says is you can, you can move that away, that need to be well-liked by everybody and be bare before God. And Christ will accept you, meaning even if everyone is upset at me, my meaning, my well-being is found in Christ because he has accepted me. And if he's accepted me, then I can put away the idol of needing to be liked by everybody. So friends, won't you consider what it is that you have standing before you and God? What have you placed before him that we need to move away and gaze at him. I want to invite our worship team back up. I don't just to spend a few moments just considering that. Just ask the Lord, man, Lord, are, are there things in my life that I've placed before you? Are there things in my life that I'm finding well-being, the ultimate? Have I made good things the ultimate things? And if so, Lord, I want to let those go. Let that, let that go. And so that in Christ, may I experience his overwhelming love and as such, find significance in him. So I want to invite us to spend a few moments. If you have a piece of paper, you want to write those things down. Uh, the things you go to when you're deeply in despair, the things you go to, uh, we want to find our rest in him. And so, Lord, would you speak? I pray in Christ's name.